and welcome to In Good Company, a brand new podcast presented by me, Carrie Grant, tackling the issue of loneliness in older people. Commissioned by Fittleworth, one of the largest home delivery services of medical devices like stoma pouches and catheters, and in association with the older people's charity, Independent Age, this podcast series is all about reconnecting people. We want to ensure that no matter where you are in the country, if you're feeling lonely or isolated, you have the tools and support to take the first steps to reconnecting with others. According to GovUK, nearly three quarters of people admit to not telling anybody when they feel lonely, despite most having someone they could count on. In the second of this three-part series, we speak to two people from different backgrounds with varying experiences of isolation. I chat to Brian Belcher, who, after illness and changes to his living situation, reached out to Independent Age for help with his isolation. We'll also be joined by Rachel Stokes, a bowel cancer survivor and Fittleworth Ostomate. Robin Hewings, Director of Campaigns, Policy and Research for the Campaign to End Loneliness, and Andrew Bird, Clinical Lead for Connect Prescription Services at Fittleworth, will also join the conversation to provide expert guidance on tackling loneliness, reconnecting with people and re-establishing life after diagnosis. They'll also be answering questions submitted by you, our listeners, Fittleworth clients and members of the public. So, sit back and relax. You're in good company. So, Brian Belcher, tell me a little bit about your story and how you came to contact Independent Age. I'm I'm an only child. I lived through the war. I was born in 37. I was surrounded by love and affection from my parents. I met my future wife, uh, late 50s, and then we got married in 60. We were married for 31 years. And which time I helped to become a midwife, looking after the kids full time while she did a three year course. But then uh, I think we grew apart slightly, I don't know why. And uh, she wanted to be on her own, she got away. I finished up without my house, my car, out for me at home, and I started again at the age of 58, but I'm still around. <laughs> and how old are you now? I'm 83 this year. My goodness. So that's a ripe old age. I think so. So you I had know. this big change in your oh, 50s. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you're quite a sociable person, aren't you? Yeah, well, you see, I'm a people's person. I, I like talking. I like meeting people. I really... But everybody's got a story to tell. I don't care who it is. The, the highest and the lowest. They've always got something to say. And it's some, if you listen, it's interesting. And, uh, you know, so I've always thought about that. What did you do for a job? I started out as a skilled engineer, time-served machine tool fitter. But I did milkman, breadman, long-distance bread salesman, uh, 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 but during my spare time, I did a broadcasting course for the BBC and became a freelance broadcaster for Radio Leicester. Had my own programme called Getting Organised because I played the organ, introducing local organists onto the air. But then we got taken off the air because they got the spending to us. But I didn't waste my time. I went on, uh, became a founding member of Hospital Radio Fox at the Leicester Royal Infirmary. I was on, the, I was on the air from day one, helped build the studio. I did a programme for 12 years, a magazine-type programme, interviewed 235 studio guests and went out with my tape recorder, did 180 interviews with celebrities from all walks of life. So I'm used to meeting people. Wow. Now, some of our listeners might be thinking, how does someone like that get to a place where they can possibly feel lonely? Well, you see, um, my daughters all live in the south of England, two in each and one in Cumbia Island. I do see them from occasionally, but as I get older, I can't drive so far now. And where uh, are you based? I'm in Leicester. I live in North Leicester. So when did the loneliness begin to hit you? Well, as you get older, I suppose, you know, I had a dear friend who died about two years ago. Uh, I used to help him out, take him out and all that, and he's gone. And two or three other people have moved away. So really, there's just mean that my ex-wife, my ex-wife died of most disease six years ago. So I've got her dog now, Alfie. He's 12. And there's just Alfie and me now. So we look after each other, you know. And if you're able to share with me, what would you say was your darkest moment in terms of your isolation? Well, when you're d- not feeling very well and you, you think, is there any point in carrying on? But there is points in carrying on because um, Independent Days got in touch with me. Uh, I don't know, I think it was my daughter rang them. And they, 
there's a gentleman called Ian. He lives in Sussex. He plays squash for England seniors. He's a good player. But he always rings me every Thursday without fail. And if he doesn't get me, he rings me back another day and he rings until he makes contact either with me or my daughter to make sure I'm all right. He's brilliant. Absolute superb. He's so how did that get set up? Well, um, through independent days, they, 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 they said, would you, would you like Ian to ring you? Ian rang me and we've been, we've been chatting ever since. About three or four years now. Was that slightly awkward to begin with or were no, you anti it? Or? No, no, no. I mean, he's a gentleman. He's, he's Sussex. He lives in Middleton-on-Sea and uh, he lives, he, he's all that way from me, but he was happy to talk to me about my life. And what difference has that made to oh. your life having Ian? Well, calling of course, you? I know he's going to ring me. And we talk, we chat. He's very. Into, I've sent him a copy of my life story, and he thinks he's brilliant. So he keeps ringing me up and said, "I've got so and so. I think that's good, and it's nice." We just trust about general things. Bulls me about Leicester City, and uh, when the, when the when they get beat like the other day, like you know, <laughs> you know but ribs you about the football. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. But I, I I enjoy his company. I enjoy. I look forward to his phone call. Let's bring Rachel in at this point. Rachel, your story is quite different to this, isn't it? This is tell us tell us what's happened in your life. Oh well, thanks, thanks, Carrie. Um, well, um, I was just going along nicely with my life. Um, I'm quite a sort of sporty person. We run our own business, and um, I, um, at the age of forty six, had a shock diagnosis of bowel cancer. Um, it, uh, you know, sometimes even saying it back, it's sort of like. Did that actually happen to me? Um, uh, but um, through um, various uh, treatments, surgeries, etc., um, I'm now um, I've been cancer-free for uh, 15 months or so, and um, I'm just starting to love life again. Gosh, so that's a four-year journey that you've had there. Mm-hmm. When you first got diagnosed, obviously, there's that's going to be incredibly shocking. How long did that take you to adapt to? Well, it's a totally new life, isn't it? The the difficult thing to sort of deal with, um, once I'd, um, I'd had the, the biopsy from the colonoscopy, um, the the consultant said, we, we think it's malignant, but we just need to do these tests, these biopsy tests. And we walked out of that appointment and were totally shocked. Couldn't really quite believe it. Um, and it, unfortunately, it did take quite a while to get that diagnosis through various scans that had to be done so um it was um sort of a, a couple of months later that I actually had the the proper diagnosis and then it was all systems go Rachel what was it like for you during that two month period where you didn't know what was happening exactly I think it was sort of almost a little short of terrifying in yeah. a way um, and you just uh, I found myself and, and my husband and the, my family and friends around me were just um, continually going between um, is this what we think it is yeah. or maybe it isn't and my life's going to be fine uh, am I going to die what's going to happen sure. um, and I think uh, I imagined as probably many people that um, when if you get a cancer diagnosis, that you're you're going to have a test and you're going to know very shortly. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I the think not knowing must be that must drive you mad. Yes, it, it it did. You're in shock. I was in shock to start with, and then I think I just thought um, I just kept ruminating on these thoughts, and that was really sort of quite terrifying. Um, I think when when you have uh, the information and if you're sort of I'm quite a practical person so so if you know the situation and then you know what, what's going to happen next that really helped me to deal with it but just the not knowing was very very difficult. I agree with you it's almost as though I mean this is a horrible thing to say I know when I got my Crohn's <coughs> diagnosis but I almost felt like going yes mm. like <laughs> yeah, just because now I know there is a pathway and there is something that's going to happen now but that yep. no man's land of am I aren't I what's going on what what does the future hold not knowing is really difficult. Mm. And, and particularly what I have learned since uh, my diagnosis 
um, is that um, each cancer is different, each tumour is different. So when you have the facts before you and you've seen your consultant, you you then um, have some idea of what you're dealing with. Um, so the way that I, um, we, you know, once I was diagnosed, sort of in time, once I learned to deal with it, was um, that mine was mine was a tumour. Um, I'd got the details of the size and what uh, you know what type of tumour it was. Um, and that helped me to think, well, it's not all over my body. It's in a particular area. It's not particularly pleasant. Nobody likes to talk about the bowel and all those type of things. But at least I, whether that was right or wrong, that's what helped me um, along the way to think, well, I'm going to have surgery and I'm just going to um, move forward from this. And it's not all, all over. Whereas usually when you when you hear that cancer word, it's, it's oh my gosh, you know, and you, you have all those horrible, terrifying thoughts. What would you say to people listening that have had that experience like you've had where you're blindsided by grief or trauma? How do you get through those difficult times? Well, it was the um, love and support of my, my wonderful husband um, and my my family and and friends. And of course, some people um, don't know how to speak to you. They don't speak to you. Some people do. Yes, everyone um, changes around you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then... To get to get through that, I think once life um, sort of um, in different stages began began to return to normal, that's when it really hit me. Um, and I, I know that's the sort of old cliche. And I was sort of back to work part time, and I was thinking, oh, everyone's saying, well, you're really brilliant. You know, it's, you're fine now, and yeah. you're thinking, why don't I feel right? Why 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 am I feeling absolutely terrible? So um, I I was the sort of person I'm the sort of person that sort of thinks, oh, I don't need. I don't need any help. I don't, um, you know, I, I sort of don't need to reach out to anyone. Yeah. I'm getting through this. Um, and I did actually phone my nurse's team who were sort of, who sort of always there for us and said, um, I, I, I just, I can't get out of bed in the morning now. I'm, you know, I'm recovering really well, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that's because sometimes when the body is dealing with physical issues it just does the survival mode so our yep. mental health kind of goes you press pause in a way and then once you know actually I'm going to live that's the first obviously with cancer it's the first that's the thing you're looking for isn't it I'm going to live and then your mental health kind of says okay time for time for a little <laughs> bit of focus here yeah yeah definitely yes um I particularly found mornings really difficult after I was starting to recover and um you know get back to work I just didn't know how to deal with these horrible feelings that I had yeah. when I got up. So some um, tips from my counsellor was wake up and write down how you slept. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Why, why am I going to just wake <laughs> up and just do that as soon as I woke up? And um, it was a real struggle because um, I did sort of think, I, I thought to myself, well, I don't want to have to try. I'm, I'm over all this now. Why am I having to try to help myself mentally to get better? But I kept on with it, and that really helped me to just focus on not on my feelings, which ruminates of worry, you know, well, how will I um, get on with daily life? Um, uh, will my cancer return? All those type of things. Because so you had those sessions, just six sessions. Yeah. It's fantastic that you have a support network there. Mm. But you also reached out further than that, didn't you? Um, well, I, I think I just felt really sort of isolated and I was, I, I don't know why, you know, you just think you should be getting on with things. Um, and so I was, um, uh, I think your nearest and dearest, you you worry about them having to cope with all of this. And almost I found it much easier to cope myself than I, than I, than, you know, for, for these people all around me having to watch me go through all this awful stuff yeah. um, and then the joy of recovering and all that type of thing. Um, so um, I I think um, even things like on um, YouTube, I, I would you know you, you you see people who are just this, going through the same things as you with tips and the things even the practical things that are going to help you every day with your um, uh, sort of stoma management and things like that. So yeah, I, I reached out to to that type of stuff as well. So you went online. Mm -hmm. You got your family. Yeah. And then we've heard from Brian earlier talking about having Ian, who was his friend, provided by Independent Age. Now, for you, Brian, was it was your daughter that made that initial connection for you? 
and contacted them and set that up. Had she not done that, do you think you would have reached out? I don't know. Uh, at the time, you know, I didn't. I was just looking after myself. Really. As I say, I'm an only child, so I've been used to ploughing alone for her throughout my life. So you've found that help yeah. through having that call. You've also mentioned <laughs> earlier, Brian, that you have a dog. Oh, Alfie. And I, yeah, and I know for many people, their pet becomes, yeah. you know, absolute company during those different well, over times. The, over my lifetime, we've had over a dozen dogs for different things. Alfie was my ex-wife's dog, and she 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 developed nose and orange disease, and I used to take him out every night on the lead around the streets. And then when she got too ill... I used to take him out at weekends around the parks and that. And, of course, when she died, when she was too ill, I, I took him on, looked after him. I promised her before she died that I would look after Alfie. I've had him six years now. He's 12. Going back to you, Rachel, you know, you talked about looking at people online, but have you found a community anywhere or a support group or anything outside of your family? Um. Uh, funnily enough, I, I haven't. Um, I think the the sort of um, local bowel cancer support group I've I've not been along to. Um, I think that's mainly because they tend to run in the daytime and I'm back to work, etc. Um, I, I I just um, I haven't gone along to any type of support group. However, I have found uh, becoming a Fitworth ambassador has that's really sort of started to suit me and so I'm, what is that tell us what that is um well that's um that's um just being part of the Fittleworth uh family and um I'm able to uh, go along to some um some staff inductions and just give my sort of perspective of um how how things have been for me something I didn't yeah. expect would ever happen in my life and now it has and how I'm dealing with it um, and um, also to um, just kind of be a real person that the that Fittleworth um, supply their services to um, I think um, that it's really sort of for me it's like giving an awareness helping people an awareness yeah. that I never thought something like this has happened to me it has and there's still still life after <laughs> do you um, think sharing your story helps most definitely, yes, yeah. Um, I think um, when when I was in the stage of sort of um, before my first surgery and wondering what I might come out of the surgery with, I, I sort of, I, there was a chance I might not have a stoma or I might, um, I sort of found that looking at other people's stories and hearing about what they'd been through really helped me to just feel more calm about it um, and... You know, my, my consultant said, yes, you know, you, you will get back to a normal life. You can have a normal life. Because you just feel like that's never going to happen, <laughs> mm -hmm. don't you? There is definitely a point where you yeah. think, will I ever get back into normal society? Or will I just be in this kind of weird subsection? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Will I, will I be in the, in the interim? And um, that, that is the hard bit, I have to say. Um, however, um, don't beat yourself up if you are in this situation where you think I'm not not quite back to, um, you know, my old life. And I, I find that it, it's it's not my old life. It's sort of the new me and the new life. Yeah. But um, you know, I have you can really start to in, enjoy life again. Um, and I think also my my faith has just really helped me. It's helped me to come back to that when horrible things happen to you in, in your life. Uh, as I said, I remember saying to my friend, this is my lot, I'm happy with this. But um, I, I think God had some other plans for me and um, yeah. I wouldn't have wished this to happen to me at all. But I do feel strangely um, happier than I, I have ever felt. Yeah. Um, and I seemed to, that seemed to have given me sort of a, a, a calmness and a sort of peace. Um, what I'm hearing from you guys, which is so encouraging, is the many and varied ways that you are being brought from that place of isolation back into the real world, even if it is a slightly different world, whether that is through a phone call, whether that's through having a pet, whether that's through your faith or your family or going online and looking and seeing what you can do and also using what you've gone through to help other people. That's, that's yeah. a... A whole load of strategies just sitting there that you guys have done. But there's one last question I just want to pick up with both of you. Yeah. You talked about 
both of you have talked about coming from life as it was Mm -hmm. to having to think about a new life as it is today, whether that's the the death of a partner, the loss of a partner, or whether that's coming out of a whole cancer journey and having lost your mum during Mm -hmm. that cancer journey. You've both had to come into a new life. And for many people... They they get stuck in that place of saying, but this is what it used to be like and I want it to go back to what it used to be like. Mm-hmm. How do you let go of that and embrace something new? Well, can I tell you, my, my, I enjoy going out in the countryside or just outside watching the birds take seeds off the thing. The birds are there, they're singing. When it's a sunny day, it's lovely. The sun's even when it's raining. There's there's nice things in rainy day. You you can experience all that. You're a long time dead. You can experience that, even though you've got a change of circumstances. You're not. It's not all. It's not bad. There's still some good to come from that where you are at that position. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. I, 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 there's all. I've always said there's always person worse off than me. I know that. I love your appreciation. I love the fact that when life seems to get very small, yeah. actually there's something in that smallness that's very oh, valuable. Yeah. There's something. How about how about you, Rachel? Yeah, I think what, what I've learned is um, just try and be treat yourself with kindness because if you beat yourself up all the time and you're... I, I was particularly always kind of trying to find the answers and um, I don't have those answers um, and, and none of us do, but... If at the time, if you if you're going through stuff, just take a deep breath if you can, and I, I would say just treat yourself with a little bit of kindness. Guys, thank you so much. I love this idea of starting again. You've both really given that rich content back, yeah. really, and asking questions. I can see that you've both managed to start again, and I guess that is letting go of what you've lost and embracing what's left. And thank sometimes what's left yeah. is actually really precious oh, and amazing. Yeah. Well, that was absolutely fantastic, guys. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Pleasure. I'm now joined by Robin Hewings, Director of Campaigns, Policy and Research for the Campaign to End Loneliness, and Andrew Bird, who is the Clinical Lead for Connect Prescription Services at Fittleworth. Hi, guys. So, Andrew, if we start with you, for those that have just received a diagnosis or gone through surgery, they may not immediately experience feelings of loneliness or isolation, but their conditions can often eventually lead them down this road. I mean, we've kind of heard that from Rachel earlier. Is this something that that you see with patients, clients? Yeah, quite often. Um, As Rachel was saying earlier on, when, when they initially get the diagnosis that that's the thing that they're thinking about the most and it's and it's almost like they're going to a little world i need to get through this step and and often we see the, the physical needs take priority whether it's uh, sort of having the surgery getting over the operation getting to terms with the physical aspect of looking after a stoma and it's only later on down line, the line when they've mastered that and the 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 recovery from the surgery has, has happened, uh, that they start to think about actually what's the long-term effect of this? What what am I, what am I what is my life going to look like now? How do I get back out and, and sort of take part in the sports that I was doing before or the activities or hobbies? Where are my friends? You know, when do I go back to work? How that how is that going to work for me? Um, so it can be a few months down the line before the mental side or, or the psychological side kicks in and i'm assuming here that when you have uh colostomy ileostomy stoma all those words that life is going to be it's going to change isn't it i mean i don't want to say it's limited but that's probably how people feel when the initial operation surgery happens absolutely and 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 we get a lot of questions before the operation when we see people as to to how that that will change and it's very different for 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 different people some people embrace the change and Rachel said earlier on her life's actually better now than it was um before she's she's in a really good place and and I hear that a lot um sort of a a way down the line six twelve months down the line when life is back on track those questions about how your life is going to change I think that they're, they're really important questions but they they do 
um, depend on that individual and, and their take on life. If somebody's going to uh, let the stoma dictate their life, then obviously it's going to have a massive impact on um, how their life progresses. But but someone who embraces life in spite of the stoma, um, then you know there, there's no limits to to what they can do, and that's that's what we try to uh, the message we try to get across is actually having a stoma shouldn't be life limiting you might need to do things slightly differently or prepare in a different way but there's nothing to stop you doing what you want to do just because you have a stoma robin if i could bring you in here because you know we've just heard you know when someone's got that big life change there's a period of trying to adapt and some of us find that like you just said it could be 12 months or for me it was like five years within in, in my case with Crohn's disease how do we get through that period of what can be incredibly isolating and 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 lonely so I think that it's different for different people and I think that if people have got uh, friends and family near to them who they can talk to I think that's the the most uh ready and most probably the most useful form of support but I think it's particularly in relation to loneliness it's really important that people name it and are able to talk to people around them about it Um, and friends and family can be the best people but if that's not readily available then people may need to look uh, more widely. Because sometimes you can have your friends and family but you don't want to be a burden. So, or as my mum used to sit by my hospital bed and say, you know, do you think we're going to get better? And I think, uh, you don't actually have the disease. <laughs> <laughs> you know, their desire for empathy is great, but it sort of can feel quite overwhelming. Yes. And I think that these issues are hard ones and there's never going to be a really easy solution to it. But um, helping people to think these things through. I think in loneliness, um, we often think that it's about getting out and connections, but also it's important that people can think about um, their thoughts and where they're up to um, and notice them and think about how they can make them more positive as well without trying to pretend that this is ever going to be an easy transition. I love that you've just said that. Let's pick up on that. So we're not just talking here about connecting with people. I mean, we can talk about various strategies with that in a moment, but you've just mentioned there your own thoughts and feelings. What advice do you give to people that come to you and say, you know, how do I deal with my loneliness? If you're not going to do the reconnection thing, what can people do within their own mindset? So what have our biggest pieces of work this year is trying to get further into what we can practically say to people and the kind of support that they can get. Um, So we don't have anything like a complete answer. But I think that what we would say is that it's useful if people can um, think, take notice of things that are more positive, think about thoughts and feelings that might be more negative cycles um, and also think about things that you're grateful for in your day Uh, and then more broadly people can support their well-being by getting outside if that's something that they can do um, and by um, noticing the things which give them more pleasure rather than the things which uh, are harder work. I think Brian gave us a masterclass in that earlier, didn't he, in terms of saying, you know, I'm listening to the birds singing and the sun shining and it's just very simple, simple things. I mean, I've had a friend of mine who says, always make your bed. The fact that you get up and you make your bed, you go and make yourself a drink, the day's begun, just that sense of being very super aware of everything that's going on around you. Yes, absolutely. Those types of things to give your day some structure and to show that you are looking after yourself, I think, can really help people's uh, sense of well-being and purpose as well. And once we get beyond that then, Robin, what ideas are you working with in terms of connecting people up? Um, So I think that the key thing about connection is that we connect through things that we find enjoyable and meaningful and the thing to do is to think about what that might 
be. And it could be reconnecting with old friends who you've happened to have lost touch with, or it could be finding new things and new people that you want to do. And exactly that, what that will be will vary really wildly. Um, We were just hearing earlier about how sometimes it could be through churches and religion can be one way of doing it, or at the completely opposite end of the spectrum, it might be woodwork. So, for example, the Men's Sheds movement have had a fantastic impact on that. And that is, people that go to Men's Sheds, they're not loneliness sheds, they're about people doing really useful things for their communities and taking part in a hobby that they really enjoy. And so that's the the thing to look out for is what do you want to do and what do you think would be a really great group to be involved with? Um, libraries, woodwork, everything. It's, it's a really... Um, the richness of options is fantastic. I think sometimes breaking out of the box and not saying I don't do that this I don't I'm not into that I know for me as I've aged what I needed at 20 is very different to what I need in my 50s I run a support group from my home uh, for various uh, people and we've have 140 families and that's a wonderful thing I would have hated that when I was in my 20s but one of the lovely things that's come out of that is that three of us like walking our dogs together and that's another little subgroup that's come out of the main group and I, th- I think sometimes it's it's making that initial step, isn't it? And how do we say if, if someone's listening in today and they're thinking, oh, well, that just that just feels light years away. How could I even begin to go to a group? What are the first steps to making a, a life, a new life for yourself when things have kind of gone wrong or things have changed? So it's... Um... I think one of the th- one of the things I found working in this area, which uh, I found most inspiring, really, is that um, there's good academic research that we consistently underestimate the extent to which other people like us. That we th- we over we over worry about what other people are thinking, yeah. um, but actually they've done proper research to go and ask people, and actually people are more happy to have those interactions. Um, I think. That isn't to say that sometimes things can get really difficult. The thing about loneliness is it can really eat into your sense of who you are and what matter, why you matter. Uh, and people really can lose confidence and skills. Uh, and so one of the most positive things that the government is doing about this is uh, this thing called social prescribing. So the idea is, is that people go to their doctor and the doctor would recognise that the issue isn't a medical one. It's a social one, and they are beginning to roll out, and it's going to quite an impressive scale, uh, new link workers who will um, talk to people over a number of sessions about um, issues such as loneliness, uh, and they'll talk to them about what they, where they're up to, what they might like to do, and will then help to give people support um, to go and do that. Um, and the reason why we think that this will work is because it's already been done in some parts of the country. So Independent Age have a reconnection service um, in a couple of parts of the country, and the stories one hears from that are really powerful about how people can go from from a really difficult place to being engaged with people around them and everything that that flows from that. You just mentioned stories there. Do you have any stories of people that you've met and you've seen transformed in terms of coming from a real place of isolation? Um, I remember a guy I'd um, not been doing uh, stoma care for for very long and and, um, I attended a national conference and there was a a chap that had a rostomy formed because he'd had uh, bladder cancer. And he came on stage in front of 400 nurses to to tell his story. And it's a really powerful story. He described how um, he felt so body conscious, his his altered body image stopped him from from talking to anybody, socialising, and he he became really um, isolated and realised that he needed to do something. He knew it wasn't right, it wasn't him. Yeah. Um, And... He took it upon himself to um, join a naturist sw- swimming group. 
Wow. So he t- he it. told how he... I wasn't he, expecting you to say that. No, absolutely. Nor, nor was I when I was uh, <laughs> listening to him. But he, but he told how he went to the, the, the swimming uh, pool on a couple of occasions and then left because he was so fearful. But um, he said that the, the fact that they all welcomed him and they didn't bat an eyelid that, that he had a stoma when, that when he went That is literally facing a giant, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm not suggesting that everybody walks down the street naked <laughs> when they have these troubles. But that's but, really hitting it, it head on. Absolutely. So it's a really, really powerful story. If you if you get your mind in the right place and, and set yourself to do something, it may, maybe it will take you two or three goes to actually get there, but the, the results in the end can be really powerful. And how about for you, Robin? Um, I think one of my favourite stories uh, in this context was about someone who uh, had been ill and his wife had died and he just got into a bad place where he just wasn't really leaving the house. Um, And then actually through talking to uh, a link worker about what he would want to do and through doing that, he lived near the seaside and what he wanted to do was to walk his dog on the beach, which is in a way a really simple thing. He had a dog, there was a beach, but he just lost that self-belief, that confidence, that get up and go to go and do it. And the link worker helped him to kind of re-engage with with just doing that, which then meant, firstly, you're getting really good exercise. You're getting outside, which I think can always be great. But then there's all of the people you meet and the regulars on the dog walking. That's so true. And it's not that we, to necessarily to tackle these issues, we have to do extraordinarily complex or expensive things, but just helping people, noticing people around us who might need some help can really have a big impact on getting people into the rhythm of what they need to have a meaningful life. I love that you've given such contrasting stories. One, a really big daring <laughs> thing, and, and then and then another, which is actually just a very simple, the action of taking your dog out for a walk. So, guys, we've got some questions that are from the public and from Fittleworth customers, and we've also included Rachel back into our conversation. Welcome back, Hi there. Rachel. Thank you, Carrie. So the first question I've got for you all, and just have a think about it. I'm about to undergo an operation where I'll have a colostomy bag fitted. I'm worried I won't be confident enough to be around people in the beginning. Can you offer any tips or advice in overcoming this fear? Andrew, let's go to you first, because this really is your your area of expertise. I guess so. Um, I used to see people um, before their operations, and this was uh, a really uh, common theme actually um one thing that i would suggest to them is um to practice what it's like to have a bag on your tummy um so take some samples from the hospital wear it go out do your shopping go for your run play your squash game or whatever it is that you're doing get used to how it feels um to be that's a great piece of advice so that that's that's one thing the other the other thing is talk to the the people around you um you know robin was saying earlier on making those connections with with people can be really important if not everybody feels comfortable about discussing their situation but but generally speaking the the news is well received and and there's a level of support there that you perhaps don't realize is there if only you you say the words you know you you, you make your feelings known so that would be the other thing talk to your family talk to your friends uh, the people who are close to you, who may be the ones providing the support later on down the line. And for you, Rachel, obviously you've actually experienced uh, something, on well, not colostomy, you've got a stoma. Is it colostomy? I, I, I have a permanent colostomy now, which um, a stoma is with either um, a, an ileostomy or a colostomy. So, um, yeah, they're just in different places on the tummy if you, if you, if you have one. And what was that? period like for you did you all did you know at the beginning of your journey that was going to be an outcome um on my first surgery it was a possibility um but it, it was um so when I, I first woke up after my surgery I did have a 
ileostomy, which um, you, you have a, a stoma. Um, and but <clears throat> I think it was because it, I kn- I knew that it wasn't permanent. There was a chance that it could be reversed after my treatment. Um, that made me sort of I I was sort of felt able to cope with it a bit more. Um, so I did have the reversal, and then when um, I actually needed a permanent um, colostomy for my last operation. I did feel differently um, and I did think, oh, okay, right, okay, well, this is going to save my life. So that did help. Um, <clears throat> without it, I wouldn't be here, that's for sure. Um, and um, I think in t- practical terms, I think um, what helped me was just to see the family and friends or maybe somebody that wasn't you weren't quite so close to that was, was, was able to come and see you um, maybe after your operation or at home that you you felt comfortable with, because sometimes it is really difficult for the people who are really close to you to deal with um, what's happened to you. Um, so that that is one thing. Um, and on another practical level, um, before you go into hospital, um, organise your clothing. Think about what clothing is going to be comfortable, particularly around the, the the waistline and the stomach area when you come out, because. If you've got the right clothing on, you're going to feel more comfortable to see people and be around people. Um, And also, um, keep speaking to your stoma nurse and um, your... Uh, your sort of support uh, medical team because if the product that you're using, the pouch that you're using isn't right for you, there is a wealth of products out there. So just keep keep going if you feel it's, you know, you're having some problems with um, it not fitting correctly or, um, and, and, you know, my, my stomach has been just brilliant with giving me different products to try and that all makes you feel more confident. Obviously, having a stoma is one thing that may make you feel to begin with a little bit housebound and a little mm. bit like I'm afraid to go out. But there are many reasons, aren't there, Robin, for people feeling that, whether that's a stoma or something else that's making them feel, I don't go out because something awful might happen. Yes, and I think trying to get to... There will be, there's a whole range of ways in which these might be very obvious kind of physical things and sometimes the barriers can be more psychological and I think that it's something which is partially about the individual who has this issue to think it to help to think it through and um, do the kinds of tips that we've just been hearing about how you can address it but I also think that the rest of us also need to think about the people around us and what we can do to notice if someone might be coming up for a transition that's going to be really difficult uh, and think about what we can do to help them and try to minimise the kind of sense of stigma whatever the issue is um, about helping them through it and I think your example about how um, you were reaching out to your kind of wider network I think is a really striking one about how you can keep in touch with people. I think that um, sensitivity to others is always this kind of is it the constant dilemma, I suppose, between jumping in versus being kind of hanging back too much. And I think that in general, it's a good idea to, to go for it a bit more. But um, we always need to read cues and, and be sensitive to people as well. Yeah, Good it's not advice. all about jumping straight in. Don't go to the swimming pool to join the nutrients group. <laughs> but if, if that's your 10 when you're feeling super confident, don't think yeah. about how you can get to that 10. Think about how you can get to the 2 and then yes. about how you can get to the 3 and, and just do it little bits at a time. Bit by bit. Okay, next question. My wife has just gone through surgery. She's a real people person, but I'm concerned she has felt isolated from her friends in recent months due to the illness. She's confident enough online, though. Are there any online resources where she can talk to people in similar situations to her? That's the question. Let's go to Robin first. Sorry, no. Let's go to Andrew. (laughs) Um, If this uh, lady has had stoma surgery there's there's lots of uh, support available um, online um, there are three big um, charities in the UK um, stoma related so the the colostomy UK um, IA for the Iliostomy Association uh, and the Eurostomy Association and they they have online 
websites. There's um, sort of support groups that, that you can meet face to face, but also uh, they've got. Uh, so, Clostermy UK has got a 24-hour helpline, so you could phone and chat to them. There are Facebook groups that are closed and for for people with a stoma that are sort of run by these charities, but also local ones that have popped up here and there. That there are sort of dating sites for people with stomas as well. So. Um, I guess, as you would find in any aspect of, of social media, Twitter and YouTube and, and whatever, for, for any particular subject, if you look hard enough, you'll be able to to find somewhere where there's there's like-minded people going through similar situations. Rachel, you were nodding just then, and I know you mentioned earlier about accessing YouTube, I think it was, when you were talking about yeah, Stoma. Yeah, so that's not so much... I mean, you can take part in, in the community, but I, I just found it... Um, really useful to uh, look up and when I was brave enough <laughs> I would uh, people will put things you know online on video that you um, don't really get to see about the practical care of having a stoma um, uh, it, it's not too gruesome or anything but you do get to sort of understand what how that's going to affect you and what um, what what that means to you in your practical life so I find I found some of those um, people who were really given a lot of information about even say different products, different pouches. Even I mean, um, I now actually um, do uh, this. This may sound awful, but <laughs> I use an irrigation system, and that has absolutely completely changed my life. Um, it's been brilliant, and I don't think enough people sort of are are confident enough to do that if, if they can medically if it's okay medically and I found there was one lady online who um, her she she had a phlogostomy um, channel I love all these words you're oh, no. using I'm going to have to go home and look them all up and actually, I, you know, I have to really give thanks to her. She, she was the one thing that I looked at where I, where she said how it had changed her life, and I learned about that. Then I, you know, also contacted my medical team and asked different questions. But it really helped me to understand what that was about and how it could change how I live. And that's coming from the community, like people that are expert by experience. And we've seen this change, haven't we, Robin? Over the years, it used to be that you, you can only speak to a GP or your consultant, whereas now there's, it, it feels like, just like Rachel said, it's actually just Joe Public. Joe Public is the person that actually led to her road to freedom in that area. Yes, absolutely. And I think that um, there's been some research done about um, these kinds of patient websites. And what's really striking is that we think of the internet often as being a bit of a wild west where people say all kinds of crazy things. But actually... These groups tend to be quite self-policing and quite responsible that people aren't saying, oh, yes, you can cure this if you just yeah. eat this random thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, that people are quite people are responsible and supportive and get, all, get both really useful emotional support, but also those kinds of practical tips about how actually do you get this particular device to work, which yeah. you can get at three o'clock in the morning in a way that you would never be able to, from someone who's actually been there, in a way that talking to a healthcare professional who you might see quite infrequently will never be able to do that that same kind of thing. It's yeah, a really I mean, positive uh, Definitely, Robin, because I, I think the, um, the, well, the community um, sort of uh, responsible in saying, well, I'm, I'm not a medical expert, this may not be right for you, etc., but these are the tips that I've found have helped me, so... You know, and um, don't get me wrong, I had I had advice, m- medical advice as well. But then I went, oh, okay, is anybody doing this? And that's where it helped. Mm, and for me, that's 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 really important. So I'm, you know, I'm seen as a stoma specialist, but actually I don't have a stoma. So I'm not. I may be an expert in stoma care, but I'm not the expert in living with a stoma. And you can't underestimate the power of somebody else who's been through the same situation that you're going through telling you that that it's all actually it's all right on the other side of this this uh, journey that you're traveling through so let me finish on one last question for any of our listeners i'm trying to think what 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 might they be thinking right now you know if they've been listening in and they're thinking this is really interesting and i am in that isolated place what one piece of advice let's just start with Andrew, then we'll go to Robin, then we'll go to Rachel. Um, the the biggest thing is is 
identifying and 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 reaching out, asking for help. And there there are several ways that you can do that. You can go through the national um, organisations, the national charities, or local groups. Um, but if you don't have any contacts with them, then go to your your stomaness. They'll be able to put you in touch with people who you know live in your local area. Maybe do like a buddying system, meet up, um, and have conversations. The same as Brian did with with Ian, um, to help you get through. And, and those small initial steps will hopefully help. So charities and organisations. And the if it's not a, if it's not if it's not a stomach. If it's not a, a, a yeah, uh, or the social prescribing GPs is the other way, isn't it? Of course. Yeah, Robin. Yeah, I think that I think if you're feeling that way, I think the next step almost is to think, what is it that is making me feel this way, and what might be the things that I might be able to do, and what do I feel up to, um, and those may well be at the more practical end. It may well be at the more kind of. I might just start talking to the people who I'm already talking to, but in a different way to start talking about how actually this is how I feel. Um, we don't need to have a whole solution or a whole plan, but just starting the conversation may well lead to where you need to get to. So opening up the conversation, I love that, Robin. And final words from Rachel? Yeah, just um, really don't don't be, as to add to that, really don't be afraid to um, uh, reach out to your to your um, to your medical team or your your stoma nurse or whatever particular condition it is, um, because you're 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 not a bother and they they do want to help you, um, and try not to beat yourself up too much because you know you you haven't been through this before it's new to you, um, and you need to find your your way of dealing with things so um you know you're not expected to if you're a practical person or you get on with life quite well don't see it as a um something that is a a failure because you don't quite know how to deal with this new situation just um yeah reach out and and get some help (laughs) thanks everyone Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for in this episode of In Good Company. On behalf of Fittleworth, I'd like to thank all of our guests, Brian, Rachel, Andrew and Robin, for joining me today to share their inspirational stories and offer their support and advice. If you do have any questions you'd like answers to, please email marketing at fittleworth.com or tweet fittleworth at fittleworthmed. If you'd like further information and support with the different ways you can reconnect with people, you can download the accompanying support pack filled with tips and advice at www.fittleworth.com forward slash in good company. Or contact Independent Ages Helpline on 0800 319 6789. That's 0800 319 6789. Or visit the website at independentage.org. And stay tuned for the next and final episode of the series coming soon. If you'd like to be involved, have questions to put forward or an experience or story you'd like to share, you can contact the Fittleworth team. Marketing at fittleworth.com or tweet fittleworth at fittleworthmed.